I consider myself a software guy. Bachelor of Science in Computer Science. I wrote my own analytics package in 2003, which was thankfully replaced by Google Analytics in 2005. I still write scripts for my own data analysis. In the tech world, we distinguish between software guys and gals and hardware guys and gals. Mark Zuckerberg is a software guy. Apple's Steve Wozniak is a hardware guy. Yes, I know Steve has written a lot of code in his day, but he's undoubtedly a hardware guy. And when there's something that needs to be done around the house or to my car, my first thought is, I'm a software guy. This is a hardware problem. Now, my father is clearly a hardware guy. He's handy. He fixes things. He builds things. So when it came to change the kitchen sink faucet in my house, I called dad. Because as a software guy, I would just start trying things to understand the obstacles. This could be an expensive approach for a hardware problem. Now, hang in there. There's a point to this. So I called dad, and he came over. He told me what to do, but I pretty much knew all of that. However, Dad handed me a tool that I could never have imagined existed. It's called a basin wrench, and it made all the difference. Welcome to Intended Consequences, a podcast from Conversion Sciences. I'm Brian Massey, and I believe that anyone is capable of using behavioral science to predict the success of their marketing campaigns. Marketing magic is real, and I'll teach you how to harness it. But are you more allowing the individual or the team to spend their time on the things that they're good at or that they want to spend their time on? For me, that's one where when you look at whether it's the words that you say or the user experience that you provide or you know, really the belief that you're trying to align with in your buyer and customer's mind. You, you really have to make sure that you're understanding how they spend their time and, you know, does this fit within that? There is no way squeezed under that sink that I ever would have gotten the old encrusted bolts off that old faucet without the basin wrench. The YouTube videos I watched didn't mention it. Imagine a raptor claw attached to the end of a long rod with a handle at the bottom. You know, I even had to Google faucet tool to find out what this thing was called. There's a picture of it in the show notes. Now, I'm certain that I would have given up without this. What's the moral of the story? Tools plus experience. I get pitched marketing tools all the time pop-up tools, data tools, visualization tools, email tools, analysis tools, you name it. How can I know which tools are indispensable basin wrenches in all of this noise? That is the question I had in mind when I invited Josh Thomas onto my podcast. Josh is with Outbound Engine. They sell the basin wrench of digital marketing for small businesses. They sell both the tools and the done-for-you services to the kind of people who actually use basin wrenches on a daily basis. Most of us see our products and services as basin wrenches, indispensable, but only to those people who have the proverbial faucet to change. So how does Outbound Engine convince hardware guys and gals, the plumbers and HVAC people that they sell to, to invest in a soft problem like digital marketing. Well, let's listen and find out. 
So when I uh, graduated from college uh, many, many years ago, it was really, I, I didn't know exactly where I wanted to go. I knew I had interest um, in a lot of different areas. And so I found myself really diving into uh, the marketing area where it gave me the most exposure to being able to learn and do a lot of things uh, quickly. What were those areas of interest that uh, the various areas of interest? Was it music? Was it art? Was it gaming? I don't know. Uh, for me, it was um, it was the ability. So I, I actually don't come from a formal marketing background. Like I don't have a marketing degree or anything. But for me, a lot of my background was actually in uh, government economics, and so it was the ability to really rationalize numbers and you know see how they fit within you know what you're trying to accomplish, uh, whether it's at a micro level within say a business or at a macro level in say uh, United States of America. But then at the same time as well, uh, from the government side of things, it was really being able to rationalize big data sets, big goals and objectives, and uh, doing so in a way that really re required a depth of expertise in given areas. And so uh, and that obviously lent itself to a lot of writing and being persuasive and trying to you know, shape these big ideas that you're trying to accomplish. And I found that marketing really carried itself well to both of those. Uh, demand generation at the time was a growing area of expertise within marketing. Um, at least the term was, and it had originally been direct response and performance marketing, things like that. But demand generation was really starting to take hold as this really numbers-based approach to solving you know, business growth objectives. And at the same time, being able to do so in a way that was really persuasive and making, you know, moving ideas, creating categories, if you will. So it was a really interesting way to get a lot of exposure there. My background isn't so much in the design side of things, but it's more in the copywriting and the persuasion um, elements, as well as taking a more metrics-based approach to how we want to solve, uh, whether it's, you know, how do we get more customers? How do we, you know, want to grow our business? Or how do we grow it in a more healthy way to make sure that our customers that we do have are staying with us and seeing value and over time, perhaps even seeing additional value through, you know, additional services or products? Well, now that's a, it's kind of an interesting turn there. So we start off in a world where we take data sets economic data sets and we sit in a cubicle somewhere and we push them through a machine and we see how many correlations we think might be causal and remove hidden variables and things like that. And then suddenly you are uh, into persuasion and copywriting, which sounds to me like a completely different set of skills and abilities. Was there a, was there a moment that shifted you that way? Or are you just a, a left hemisphere, right hemisphere kind of a guy? I don't know that I'm anything special, but what I'd say is that some of these things, I just tend to frankly find the things that seem easier to me and I start to gravitate towards those. Perhaps that's the buyer psychology side of this as well. But as we look at, at the end of the day, if a lot of this comes down to numbers and business growth often, often does, then the ability to influence that can be done in, I would say, a couple of different ways. Design and user experience is certainly part of that. And I think that's where conversion optimization has really lent itself. At least that's where folks tend to lean on um, initially, I've seen. But at the same time, you know, the ability to move those numbers really comes from the ability to help, uh, whether it's a prospect or a customer, understand where they are today and really where they want to go. And the best way that I found to do that is through words. Words are powerful. We love testing the words. It's also the hardest thing to test because they're so mushy and malleable and changeable. And we will get into that. But you said something interesting that um, I, I think is important for the audience here, and that is your interest lies. And whenever we get hit with uh, a pitch for a tool or we see an opportunity to do something, 
Uh, interest is one of those things that either will or won't take us in that direction. And I've, I've always thought that this was really important from a testing standpoint or a research standpoint. Uh, what we want, of course, is for everyone in marketing to become experimenters, but not everyone is going to dive into A-B testing. Not everyone is going to be diving into analytics. Not everyone is going to be into revving copy and images to see what works best. So we're going to plug in at our area of interest. You have a model that you use ostensibly to talk about your product and how it saves a marketing department and a business time. But I think it's also a good metaphor for the things that get in the way of evaluating new businesses. You want to talk a little bit about that for me? Sure. Yeah. So when we talk about, we've built a product here, a solution set, if you will, that's really been built around buyer and prospect feedback as well as buyer and prospect objections. And so one of the things that every solution, every software that you see, or really anything that you want to buy, there's this idea of time and what keeps you from doing that. And, you know, when I look at, for example, how I spend my time, it really gravitates towards either the things that I'm good at or the things that I'm required to solve for, whether it's in my professional or personal life. And so as we start to look then at how we've built a solution that's really, you know, solving for that, it's really important for us to make sure that we understand how people spend their time today and and you can either fight how they spend time and you can spend a lot of time and energy trying to convince somebody to change how they spend their time. But if the natural inclination of how people spend their time is because either they have to or because they want to spend it how they are right now, whether it's a habit or it's just how they run their day-to-day -day, you know, personal or professional lives. I think that's, uh, that's a huge part of it. We may have an interest and an expertise in uh, one area, but something in the organization is dragging us, rewarding us for other things like data. If we're going to start introducing uh, data-driven decisions into marketing, there's probably a an executive layer above us or a management layer above us that is like, well, let's keep doing it the way we're doing it because it's working sort of a thing. Yeah, it's, it's either working or it's easier. It's easier because it's, and you also have a higher degree of confidence. In it. So when you look at how you spend your time, all of a sudden then you need to make sure whether you're a tool or really any other solution that's out there that you can best fit within how the individual or the team rather spends their time. Are you fighting, you know, currency and you're trying to change behavior? Oftentimes that can really be challenging, but are you more allowing the individual or the team to spend their time on the things that they're good at or that they want to spend their time on? For me, that's one where when you look at whether it's the words that you say or the user experience that you provide, or, you know, really the belief that you're trying to align with in your buyer, your customer's mind, you, you really have to make sure that you're understanding how they spend their time and, you know, does this fit within that? You know, one of the things that I, working with sales professionals in the past, have also been is, you know, really making sure that you ask the question, is this a line item on your current budget? Because how you spend your, your money is also how you're focused in terms of your time and, and really where you want your team's time to be spent. And so if you're not on someone's line item, all of a sudden you've got to take the additional uh, legwork to go and convince them that, this thing is even worth it in the first place. They have to become aware of the problem before they become aware of the solution. Otherwise, you're spending a lot of time trying to convince someone of a particular need without their belief themselves that either their belief themselves that it's important or they may believe it's important, but it's just like going to the gym. No one equates going to the gym with smoking cigarettes. Uh, everyone generally understands that, hey, if you a gym is aligned to this idea of a healthy lifestyle, but not necessarily everyone goes because they may not have the time because of either children or, you know, their business lives or just because they have other interests. 
that's something where you want to just make sure that time is is really part of the conversation because everyone has grandiose ideas, I would say, for some solutions out there on how their time is actually spent. But if you were to look at it and see how their priorities lie, it may often sometimes be a bit different. Yeah, and let's let's bring let's bring that back because uh, I think you hit on something interesting. If I was to look at the budget for my marketing department and see where I was spending it, uh, I think that that would be an indicator of uh, not just logical decisions about the best place to put your money, but about the culture of that organization. So, how much am I spending on website development? We see when a web is a website is being redesigned something like 70 or 80% of the money goes to the design firm, the look, the feel, the user experience, which are very important. And a smaller portion is spent on copywriters and image development and the things that we would put into a persuasive bucket. And I think that says something about the design, rather the marketing department that's doing that. How much am I putting into ads? How much am I putting into landing pages? How much am I putting into search optimization? Uh, and how much am I putting into um, calls to action, lead magnets that we would call to, to, to respond to those sorts of things? But your model has three pretty distinct pieces. It is the, the time. Do we have the time to do what we want? Do we have the expertise? Do we really know how to do this well? And I, you know, there's a question of quality that I want to address. It might go into that bucket. So time expertise and then interest. And I think interest is this cultural piece of it. Would you agree with that? I would. I would say whether you're a marketing department or you're an interprofessional, say a real estate agent or a financial advisor that's really building their own book of business, a lot of it comes down to do you have an interest in doing this? In many cases, you know, some of the best folks that are focused on selling, for example, are not necessarily the best marketers or the best marketing departments that were built for a certain go-to-market model or a certain, you know, objective for that particular team um, are not necessarily best focused for a conversion-oriented, testing-oriented environment. So as you were to look at interest, I think it's really important to make sure you understand, like that I always tell my team to understand rather, that it's not only just do you have the interest in doing it, but do you have the interest in doing it well and doing it to a certain capability with a certain um, understanding of what performance you want to see out of that. So when we look at the model that we tend to use ourselves, but also with a lot of our clients, we work with a lot of folks that are professional sellers because they're an independent professional or a small business owner. A small business owner often is a professional salesperson under a different uh, job title in many cases. And with that, you know, we're often speaking with them just around, you know, you got into this to work on your business to grow your business, not necessarily to work in your business and to perform the functions necessary, for example, on the marketing side. And that's okay. You know, we find often that the folks that are really great sellers are not often the best marketers. And we don't try to convert you often into the best marketer, but rather to be the best person to take advantage of the great marketing that's available out there. And similar for marketing teams. Yeah, let me put you on the spot a little bit then. And I'm happy to do the same for me. If you were to look at the way Outbound Engine is spending its marketing dollars, its effort to bring in and persuade new customers, think about the budget. What does it say about the culture of Outbound Engine? Where do you tend to invest your dollars? You don't have to give me any numbers. I'm just, I just want to get a picture of the landscape. Sure. We, we invest our dollars in a couple of different areas. The first and foremost is making sure that we've got a great brand experience that's represented through clear, concise communications about the value that we provide and the outcomes that we drive. What are the channels that you communicate those through? 
So we do that through our website. We do that through social advertising. We do that through um, organic, you know, content development. And we do that through, to mentioned earlier, um, a focus on copywriting and design for everything from emails, landing pages, you know, a higher volume of those to make sure that they're tailored and personalized to the audience that we're reaching out to. But then also to, and this is part of a growing practice here at the organization, is really a focus on testing optimization. You know, one of the things that I tend to find is when you're new or even not new, you've been doing it for years because you can also often get trapped in your own belief terms, is this idea that you're probably 70% right, you're probably 20% kind of close, kind of not, and then you're 10% flat out wrong. Um, and that can vary depending on, you know, certain audiences or certain you know, products that you have. And so if you, if you take that mindset of, you know, you're, you're probably pretty close um, more often than not, but you're not necessarily dead on, well, then it makes most sense to really invest in, you know, delivering a high volume of campaigns and content, emails and landing pages to put out there so that you have the right headlines, the right copy to make sure that it's really aligned to the buyer's interest and what they're looking to accomplish. So we spend a lot of uh, time and energy on that. Um, we also have a lot of focus area here on ensuring that our customers can consistently see the value after they've you know, made the decision to move forward with us. And so customer marketing is a big focus area for us to make sure that we're enabling them to you know, take the right steps forward on behalf of you know, the marketing that we're doing on, with them. And so, so you spend a fair amount of your budget on making sure that the, your existing customers are being successful with the product. Correct. And do you see that as a, a churn problem or uh, is that something more cultural? And so it's more cultural for us. It's, an area where we generally believe that small businesses are best suited to focus on the areas of their expertise. Um, we feel like we're a partner in, you know, amplifying their expertise and really driving value to drive their growth. And it's just part of how we view the world. We, we really have, we have a red carpet program here that's really focused on ensuring that uh, our customers really see the value of our product immediately as quickly as possible in terms of being able to stay top of mind with their audiences. And with that, we want to make sure that they are seeing that value as fast as possible. But then at the same time, too, we just feel it's our responsibility as a marketing platform and as a partner with all of these customers. They're seeing not only the value, but we also recognize that their growth is really dependent on you know great marketing. Great marketing is consistent marketing. And doing that in a way where they can understand every step of the process is critical for us. Just so everybody understands the context, because we haven't dived into it yet, but uh, you offer a platform as well as the services that create the content that drive that platform. Now, you said something interesting. Uh, you said that you spend a fair amount of money on social ads. Does that mean that you don't spend that much on search ads or what's the deal there? We tend to lean more on the social advertising side. It gives us better targeting abilities. Uh, for us, um, I mentioned earlier the testing culture that we've built and we continue, we continue to build is this idea that by better targeting, we can be more prescriptive with our communications so that when we're talking to, say, a plumber, we're making sure that we're speaking in their language, not necessarily in our language. And we're always pretty close, but at the same time, too, by bringing that testing mantra, we recognize that we won't always have it perfect. You know, certain audiences tend to have certain preferences. And so it's just about making sure that we've got a lot of different ad sets out there that tends just to be a bit easier when it comes to social advertising, given the targeting capabilities. I see. I see. Well, you know, uh, if I was to play the game and say, where do we spend most of our time? Now, most of my time or the largest percentage of my time is traveling places to speak and actually generating this podcast is a, a fairly significant use of my time. 
And so we do not spend a lot of time. We don't spend any time on outbound marketing. We're not making cold calls. We're not calling uh, prospects uh, from shows and things like that. And I think culturally it says uh, quite a bit about us. And number one, I like to hear myself speak is clearly what's being what's being communicated. And uh, number two, we want people to come to us when they've kind of made the decision rather than to persuade them. There are some flaws with that model that, that we grapple with, but we have to be very honest that our our marketing spend reflects the, the culture of the company. I, I think that's an interesting exercise for, for anyone to do. Now we talked about, um, we talked about interest. Time is one of those things that's more valuable than the money. And uh, there's probably another fingerprint that we could overlay on, on our, on our little game here that says, how, where are we spending our time? The truth is we don't really know that it's easier to track where we're spending our money than where we're spending our time. And we touched on expertise, which has this quality issue wrapped around it. And I want to dive into that because, um, as we said, your business is about providing the content as well. It seems really difficult to get good at developing content for a variety of industries. Now, we test our way to um, the answers. So we collect the data that it tells us. We don't have to be uh, experts when we come in. Do you take a similar approach or how do you handle delivering high quality ads, high quality content as a part of your service in an industry that you might be new to? Absolutely. So when we look at that, it's really a focus area for us. We have a whole team that's really built around making sure that we have high quality, relevant, you know, really beautiful content that's allows the small business owner to stand out and really look great at their local market. To do that, we, we, since we have, we have over 10,000 customers and what that allows us to do is really make sure that we can start to use that as an opportunity to see what's working best, what's not through, you know, an overall testing platform. The ability to look at that and say, now we can start to see what's working and what's not because we do see so many different iterations. We can see what engagement is, what campaigns or content are driving engagement so we can make sure that we're taking those lessons learned and incorporating them more and more over time. And we do that through whether it's the email newsletters that we support or the social advertising that we do on our customers' behalf. It gives us just more and more opportunities for us to learn and see what works best. At the same time, you know, our marketing team internally works closely with that team as well to make sure that we're sharing what works best in particular industries or categories and making sure that Again, like our overall focus as an organization is, is ensuring that small business owners and independent professionals look great in their local market. So in order to do that, it's really a company culture focus just to take all the lessons learned that we take from our conversations on the sales side or with our customer support teams through our marketing efforts, through the team that really builds this out and you know, incorporating all of those findings to make sure that we're putting out the most relevant, really beautiful content that allows the individual to stand out. Beautiful content. You don't hear words like beautiful very much when people are talking about tools. Let me put you on the spot a little bit, though. So I'm always surprised at businesses, cloud uh, businesses like yours, that aren't aggregating data and learning from it. Uh, and I think one of the reasons is that uh, they might they think it might hurt them. So if I am, you mentioned a plumber, if I'm a plumber and I come and work with you, what makes me certain that you're not going to take what you've learned from me and apply it to my competitor who's down the street, who also happens to use your tool. Do you address that at all with your customers? So we do it in a couple different ways. I'd say first and foremost, you know, one of the things tactically that we do is we just ensure that 
no two members of a given audience are seeing the same content if we did have two plumbers, for example, in this case. But I'd also say, too, um, not to get too deep in the mindset, but I think that brings a bit of a fixed mindset. And at the end of the day, what it's really important to do is make sure that you look relevant as a you know expert in your field. And this right here takes a lot of that off your plate. And often what we're doing as well is, is helping this individual who may or may not be actively doing marketing or doing either consistent marketing or great marketing, taking it off their hands and really then serving those insights that come from the campaigns that we you know run on their behalf. And we really help them at that point with follow-up templates through you know, our mobile application, which includes these insights and the follow-ups uh, to really move forward you know, in the most appropriate way and the most professional way. Uh, I would say it's more about taking what currently may not, may not even be done or may, or may not be done well and amplifying that. So I, I don't necessarily look at it. I think it's looking at it from a bit of a fixed versus growth mindset. I think a lot of folks, when we end up talking with them, it's about amplifying what they're doing, making sure that they can stand out versus, you know, the individual that, you know, maybe is a year into the field and, you know, has perhaps better marketing. You know, our job is to make sure that the 15, 20 year professional can really stand out against them and really demonstrate their expertise themselves through the um, skills that they offer. So as with all marketing, it's it's while uh, the guy down the street might learn a few tips or tricks through the process. It's going to be my business, my services, my products, my ability to deliver them, my ability to support them. That's going to get amplified. And um, I love this because I think this is really true across the board that marketing departments who are struggling are putting money behind the things that they don't do well. And maybe we're circling back to our time, interest and expertise uh, model on this. So let me ask you this. Uh, I'm on Facebook. You guys really do focus on local and small businesses. That am I understanding that correctly? Correct. Yes. So let's say that I am this this plumber. I'm on Facebook, and I say uh, digital marketing done for you uh, for uh, plumbing companies, and this is interesting. I'm going to click through and tell me how you think I should apply time, interest, and expertise in evaluating whether I should uh, go ahead and fill out the form on that landing page and get a demo or or not, or if you want to take it to, to pass the demo. But how would I apply this as a, as a business owner, time, interest, and expertise to one of your offers? Sure. So uh, let's start with time. So when we make sure that we have all of our communications, whether it's through the ad set, the email, and driving to a landing page or our website, we really want to make sure that we're highlighting that your time is valuable. You know, if you're a small business owner, you don't have time to do every possible thing within your organization. Frankly, I think that's true for owners um, across all company sizes or independent professionals across all company sizes, but it's especially true in the small business side. You're just not able to do everything for your business and do it effectively, efficiently, and as well as in many cases, you know, proven experts in that given field. And so we really want to make sure, though, that we recognize, like, at the same time, despite all of that, like you do have quite a bit of skill in a lot of different areas, let's say the plumber in this case, and helping them recognize their time is valuable. It's easy in some of these cases, for example, like a plumber where you have an hourly rate where you can start to provide some of that detail of what's an hour worth to you. You, you generally have an idea of what your billable rate tends to look like, but we want to make sure that we're really explaining what that looks like and making sure that you're very clear of what that ends up being. Because one of the things that, especially if you're a great small business owner, uh, 
many times you'll find, hey, every time you want to sit down and write that newsletter, that email to a given set of your prospects or your existing book of business, that the ability to go put that together will always get dropped when someone walks in the front door and says, I'd love to have a conversation with you about buying something. And so with that, your time is valuable, but at the same time, you can't do everything. And so we want to make sure we really address that particular piece. And do we really know, though, because I mean, I value my time at you can't buy me by the hour, but I value my time just as a back of the napkin at a thousand dollars an hour. So if I'm going to spend an hour on something, I would hope to get more, you know, two thousand dollars worth of value out of it. Do plumbers and car dealers and HVAC experts really know the value of a time at a, at a management level? So not always. Um, I would say some do. The folks that are more operationally minded tend to, but not always. And that's where it's really incumbent on us in the, both in the marketing and sales uh, side of things to make sure that they recognize the value. Um, at the end of the day, um, a lot of our customers stay with us for a very long time. And with that, because they recognize their time is valuable and they recognize the importance of marketing. If they understand those two truths, like it's obviously in many cases a good fit to work with us. And at that point then too, we also help, we also find that when we are speaking with some of our customers, they start to recognize the value of their time, perhaps better efficiently spent versus trying to do all things to all people. And so I think it's more of just part of our job here in the marketing department is ensuring that we drive that awareness of, look, your time is valuable. However, the market says that you need to be spending more time on great marketing and to fill that gap, we really need to make sure that you've got the right solution. And oftentimes that solution might be us. As a plumber, when we talk about interest, then isn't my interest just getting more customers or is there, um, are there different places to plug in that might reflect my personal interest or my cultural interest? So let me tackle that from two different angles. I'd say the first side of that is your interest is not only in getting new customers, but to get in many cases, repeat customers. Um, you're not often wishing if you're a plumber that someone's, you know, let's say sink breaks down again in a month and a half, but you want to make sure that when something does happen, that you're top of mind. So it's not only just how do you get new people in the door? I think that's um, you know part of the equation, but perhaps the bigger part of the equation is how do you maximize this network that you have, this uh, sphere of influence that it'll sometimes be called. How do you maximize that so that you generate the referrals and repeat business that are more often than not the best leads you can get? It's one thing to spend all your time to your point um, on the second side of this, culturally where your time is personal time is spent. A lot of folks that we talk to at the initial stage of the conversation feel out of control of their own business. They feel they're often chasing, they're spending their time chasing, you know, new leads or something like that. And these are folks that have never heard of you that are often in many cases provided to you. If you go through additional services to get some of these leads, they're going and they're talking to four other people and you end up in a conversation around price, not value. And in many cases, a lot of our customers are really the 15 or 20 year professionals that are really fantastic at their job. But if you're going and chasing cold, you know, conversations that you don't have that relationship already built in, or if you don't have it really done in a way that you've controlled the narrative, perhaps through your own social advertising, all of a sudden then you're really, you know, rendered to speaking specifically to cost versus value. And so we want to make sure that our customers are always having the right conversations that help them demonstrate that value. And at the same time, really can control more of their day. So they spend less time chasing some of these colder conversations because um, they haven't best stayed in touch with their existing network. And they can spend more time either growing their business or spend time with their family. Spend time with the family. Now that's an interest. And then of course, uh, expertise. You know, when, when I get one of these pitches through an ad or through an email, it's usually about the expertise. We can do it better. 
we can do it faster, we can do it easier. And you guys bring both the uh, the tools that manage things as well as the the content. Uh, any more to add to that? No, I think um, really at the end of the day, like this is where we want to enable folks to be their best selves. And that doesn't always mean if you're an independent professional or if you're a marketer that you're great at everything, even in marketing. And so one of the things that we find is our job in many cases is really to remove the burden, a solution or a day-to-day activity that these individuals recognize the value and they recognize the need in, but it's not necessarily their depth of expertise. And the time, going back to that side of things, that it would take to become expert would pull away from the things that are good at today that often are required to run the business. Building relationships at the closing business, those areas are really probably more important when it comes to small business owner if you have the marketing engine running. And that's at the end of the day what we want to make sure that we are doing on behalf of our customers. When you get back to the office, think about this. Time, expertise, interest. I like this simple model. These are the things that influence whether your customers will solve a problem themselves or buy a solution to fix it. A solution like yours. When time is tight, prospects gravitate to those problems in which they have expertise, where they have confidence. Things are done the way they've always been done, and thus they're done relatively quickly. When time loosens, however, our prospects can gravitate to tasks that feed their interest or their expertise. These are the problems that needed solving, and now that time is available, they get their attention. Now, those with an expertise bent, an expertise in the solution, but little interest, they're looking for tools to make things easier. The ROI is what they're looking for. Those with interest but little expertise are looking for experts. They're looking for the expertise and the tools to solve the problem. Someone with interest, expertise, and time are likely to do it themselves, to solve the problem internally. So what are you doing to feed interest or feed expertise? To demonstrate ROI to experts and to demonstrate competence to those who are interested. The two are quite different. I've provided some drawings in the show notes on conversionsciences.com to show what I think this model looks like and how you can make decisions with these three simple indices. Now, go science something. 